What if I told you there's a way you could be a second shooter at a family session so you can see exactly how the photographer prepares, how they interact with their clients, what they say when they're posing, or when they choose to use fluid motion, what they do when kids might not cooperate or dad might not be in the session. What if I told you there's a way you can see what the gear is that they're using, where they're positioning themselves when they're shooting, what factors they're taking into consideration when they're shooting, what if I told you there was a way you could see what their straight out of camera images look like, and then you could see their editing process too, so you know exactly how they get those start to finish images and those polished ones you see in your Instagram feed. Now what if I told you you could be that second shooter without ever having to leave your house? What if I told you that not only do you get to watch it from home, but you didn't have to remember every single thing you were trying to learn the first time you watched it? What if you could watch and rewatch as much as you wanted? How would that improve your images, your posing, your confidence? Now, what if I told you there is a way you could be a second shooter, not only for one photographer, but 26. That's exactly what you'll experience inside the 2024 online family retreat. Your inspiration will soar, your art will improve, your posing will become more fluid, and your confidence is going to increase so, so much. And honestly, your clients are going to feel so much more comfortable. Head on over to themilkyway.ca slash family retreat. It all gets underway May 29th, and we hope to see you there. So oftentimes people come, I feel stuck, they're looking for like a hand or a life preserver or some sort of like, do this, but... What it really is, is helping them to be able to choose courage over fear. So often we're stuck because we fear something. And usually what we fear is change, doing something differently. We know that, I mean, if you're feeling stuck, it's because you are, and it's because you're scared of changing. More than likely, I would say 90% of the time, that's what's happening. And we, we often do things that we don't enjoy or don't align with us because of fear. And whether that is fear that we won't be accepted or that our work won't be liked or fear that we won't be able to pay the bills if we don't do what we see everybody else doing, who we assume are paying the bills. And also like if we don't necessarily know where our alignment is. So those, those are all things that will keep us really stuck. Welcome to the Art and Soul Show, where we dive into heart-opening chats on photography, business, life, and that messy in-between. I'm your host, Lisa DeJeso, a mom, a photographer, and entrepreneur, and I'll be sharing honest conversations and advice for photographers with insight on mindset, entrepreneurship, and creativity. The goal of this podcast is for you to be able to gain insights and strategies that will get you real results. Because let's face it, Having a photography business can be lonely, but it doesn't have to be. This is the place you can go when you need a boost of encouragement, a kick in the pants, and inspiration to pick up your camera. This is the Art and Soul Show. Hello, my beautiful friends. Welcome back to the show. Today, I'm super excited to dive into today's conversation with Bobby Barberidge. Bobby has been a documentary wedding and family photographer for 12 years, winning dozens of awards for her irreverent take on traditions and seeing the magic in the mundane. Her podcast, The Tilt and Shift Photography Podcast, digs deep into the moment it clicks, when our perspective shifts and we can no longer continue on the same path. 
She guides listeners to use these stories to build a better, more confident business. And Bobby's coaching experience runs the gamut from luxury photographers with Katie Mary Education to wayward teens for the nonprofit adventure company Girl in the Wild. And she's based in Nelson, BC, which is like five hours away from me, which is pretty <laughs> damn cool. I am so excited to dive into today's conversation. Without further ado, welcome, Bobby. Hi, Lisa. Hi. <laughs> We've been laughing so hard already. (laughs) Like we just met like five minutes ago, so this is awesome. We could have just met in the middle and just had coffee and done it, right? (laughs) Meet you in Summerland. (laughs) (laughs) So, tell us who you are and what you're really, really passionate about. Well, as you said in the intro, I'm a documentary wedding and family photographer, and I am deeply passionate about the documentary Mm. element of that because. I okay, we're gonna dive in deep immediately. Love it. I my like my life legacy is I want to leave this world having helped people to eradicate their self-loathing. Mm. Yes. And my tool is documentary photography because I believe that if I can show you your life unfiltered and help you see it in the beautiful way that I see you, that it can help to break down some of those walls that we have around ourselves and believing that we have to look a certain way or have to behave a certain way. And I mean, social media makes it a million times worse, but I believe that by, by putting real photos of real people doing real things, it can offer us another perspective or another way to look, a way around that, that perfection. I love that so much. I think, you know, it's funny because it reminds me of when you said social media, like I've been a photographer, I think for 13 years now, and it's been an interesting road. It was started when I had my son, the self-loathing, you hit the nail on the head with that. And especially when it comes to looking at things on Instagram and social media, Mm -hmm. like we went through a renovation and took about five years in our house. And I didn't take any photos in my house of my son during that period because it didn't look like an Instagram perfect oh, house. Oh, wow. And it kills me. Like there's a few that I've taken that are my most favorite pictures I've ever taken of all of the pictures I've ever taken mm-hmm. when the house was like torn apart yeah. and my son's in like a diaper with a life jacket on getting ready for a fishing trip yeah. with his dad and I just snapped it. Yeah. And I just like getting over that loathing of perfection, right? Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's real. Like we connect with things that are real. I think we get yeah. distracted by things that are not, and that's yeah. what kind of draws us to them because our lizard brains want us to be sort of pacified and not thinking too hard. Yeah, you know. But when we peel that away and look at what we actually value and the yeah. things that are truly meaningful to us, then then it lets go, you know, we can, mm. we can shake it off and actually say like, this is what we look like, yeah. but not, not even so much what we look like. The thing about documentary is that you feel things when you look at it, like yeah. pretty pictures. We like to look at them, but we don't necessarily feel them, yeah. you know, cause they're kind of, they can be kind of one dimensional, right. Or we're admiring the beauty of something yeah, and that's about it. 
right? Mm -hmm. Whereas if something is like a complex composition and there are people with varying degrees of dishevelment or like emotion or reaction to something, we get to feel all of that stuff that all those people are experiencing. And it's not about what you look like. Yeah. It's about what you're experiencing. I love that. And, you know, it's so fascinating too. Like we don't look the same ever. Like Mm -hmm. I don't look the same as I did five years ago or 10 years ago or 15 or 30 or 45 years ago. Like we're constantly evolving and changing. And so having that snapshot of how you felt at that moment is so powerful. It's not just about that dress that was trendy or like the Botox in your face. Like it's, I fully yeah. Agree. Yeah. yeah. And, and by having those real photos taken like regularly, we get more accustomed to those changes, you yeah. know? My brain still thinks it's 10 years ago. And then when I look in a photo, I'm, I'm like, like, I'm 28. Oh, whoa. <laughs> no. <laughs> but if I, if I was more accustomed, and I am, I, this is, I mean, it's something that I'm working on as well, right? Like we try to help other people with the things that we help ourselves with. Yeah. I'm getting much more comfortable with this process of, yeah. of aging and the fact that I'm not, like, I don't look the way I used to. And I shouldn't. Like, that's life. Well, let's celebrate it rather than avoiding it. Yeah. I love that. I love that. So tell me how you found yourself in love with photography and how you discovered your voice as a photographer and now as a photography coach. Mm-hmm. Well, it was a very long, <laughs> very circuitous route. <laughs> so finding my voice was the hardest, mm-hmm. the absolute hardest thing for me to do. And it's why I'm so deeply invested in helping my clients find theirs for sure. Like there's a direct correlation between the fire swamps that I went through and me being like, Hey, this is how you do it. <laughs> totally the fire the pit of despair. <gasps> exactly. Yes. Which is bride. <laughs> we are the same. <laughs> oh my God. It is my favorite movie. Me too. Yeah. You really? I'm not oh a witch. I'm your wife. Like that's the line we say every night. I like my yeah. My husband last night was like, go clean up the, <laughs> the kitchen, witch. And I'm like, I'm not a witch, I'm your wife. <laughs> oh, my God. Yes. Okay, so at one point in my life, I had a very sweet boyfriend, and he found the script to The Princess Bride <gasps> on the internet. And he printed it out and gave it to me. And I was like, oh, like, I was so touched. It was so thoughtful. But I went through and corrected the script based on memory yeah. from what I knew of the movie. Yeah. Oh my God. You're like, you guys got it wrong. Yeah. Yeah, That's actually what happens. (laughs) Thanks, Virgo. Yes. (laughs) I am that. (laughs) But yeah, the fire songs. Tangent. (laughs) Back back to the fire songs. Oh, so good. I just think like being able to help others to be able to find that voice and like feel confident in it. I'm my work is all centered around building confidence because I believe confidence is a tool that we need to be able to do anything that we want. Like we can ask people for advice. We can like ask people what to do, but unless you have the confidence to be able to take that information and distill it through your own life's experience and your skills and your gifts, none of it really matters. Like if we're always asking other people what to do, we're totally missing out on what we're actually capable of doing. So 
completely. Yeah. I love that. And, it, you know, it's funny. I had a conversation earlier this morning and it, we were talking about like permission. That It's almost like we're always asking for that permission that it's okay for us to do something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And it's like yeah. you just need your own permission. You yeah. just need your own. Do you want to do that? Does that feel good? Does that feel right? Yeah. Does it align with you? Like, Yeah. I mean, but those are really extraordinarily difficult questions Yes, for people who were not in environments that fostered that. Completely. Completely. Like this is some, some inner child work for sure. Yes. Whether it's by personality or by your environment or both. If our personality is softer or more exploratory and then you grow up in an environment that wants you to conform to something and be a certain way and have these expectations that's totally out of alignment with Mm -hmm. your soul, you know, and it takes courage and exposure to figure out like one that to have the self-awareness to even question that. Yeah. And then to go around about seeking the answers, you know? Yeah. You know, it's interesting because you hear a lot about inner child work, but you rarely hear about, like, how do you even dive in to your inner child work? So what advice do you have for someone who may be hearing about it, but doesn't even know where to start? Mm, Okay. I learned about it through my therapist. Yeah. So I would first and foremost recommend, like, finding a therapist and asking them about it for sure. Now there's different podcasts and different books, and I'm honestly kind of blanking on some of the ones that I've read. A simple but not easy way that I think about it now is there were a few milestones in my life as a child where things went off the rails and Mm. I can look at that as an adult and be like yeah that was I I learned not to trust myself I learned that I my voice wasn't valuable I learned these various things so I like to go to that time in my life and give her what she needs Mm -hmm. and I do it through visualization in one way it's like my seven eight-year-old needed to be protected and so I protect her my 15 year old needed to be heard and I listen to her and things that Mm -hmm. she wanted and that's more or less the basis of it there's a, a, a variety of modalities around how to do that but for me it's visualizing the place where she needs to be and creating that for her in how I go about the world now Oh, I love that. I love mm-hmm. that. That's great advice. So how did you find yourself in photography coaching? I think it's it's been a, a natural evolution for sure. I mean, maybe this is in reference to the securitist route that we didn't talk about <laughs> because we went into the fire swamp. But the, <laughs> the, which is an excellent metaphor for exactly what we're talking about. Um, so when I was a little kid, I wanted to be a photographer. I wanted to be a storyteller. Like I kind of vacillated between writing and photography. Yeah. My parents, they were worried that my life would be really hard if I was an artist. Mm. And so they discouraged me from doing that. And the environment I lived in was one of like, okay, I have to believe what my parents say. Like, and that, that's an example of not having the, the self-awareness to understand that I have my own voice. Yeah. So I was like, okay, I can be a teacher. Like that was just sort of like the the thing like if you can't write or be a photographer you can maybe teach those things Mm. or like I could teach English or French that's what I went in for and I got there and I hated it it's the worst but I was also really struggling with an eating disorder at the time and so then I was like okay well I can be a dietitian so then I can help other people (laughs) even though I was like deep in the depths of despair like in 
the eating disorder. But when you go through things, like I just, I have always had this inclination of going through things and wanting to help other people through the same thing. Yeah. But then when I was doing my master's in nutrition, I went to night school to become a photographer. So it just, it just ended up coming back. It kept dogging me. And then I was working in academia for a while. And then I'm like, nope, I'm done. And I moved to Nelson to be a photographer. And I deliberately burnt everything down so that I I couldn't go back. Like I I left the city. I like, I severed all ties. Yeah. And so that I couldn't go back on myself (laughs) to like go back into that safety thing. But then now that I've been doing this for, I think I've been calling myself a photographer for 10 years, but I've been doing it for probably 13 or 14. I see myself in other people and I see other people struggling with similar things. And I'm like, I want to help. And I really believe in paying it forward. I deeply believe we go through things in order to share the load for someone else. Absolutely. Yeah. Love that. Love that. I think so many of us really, we struggle with our photography journey at times. And I think you have to kind of go through it in order to learn the lessons from it. And I think that's like, that's the hard part is you don't even realize it until you're through it. You're like, wow, okay. won't be doing that one again. <laughs> like That was bad. <laughs> like, I, remember I, yeah. I remember like probably one of my first years, I booked a family session on Boxing Day. Oh, right. (laughs) Well, why wouldn't you? You're not working that day. I was like, what? And that's when they need it, right? Yeah. But then I thought it was a family of four. Oh, okay. 26 people showed up. Yeah. (laughs) Didn't realize it was (laughs) Didn't have that in the contract. Hard lesson. (laughs) Didn't even have contracts. Oh, yes. (laughs) So it's like, it's so funny. Like all these lessons that you learn and you're just like, okay, like I have so many in the wardrobe of lessons that when you collect them and you're just like, I love that. And I think that, like I've listened to your podcast and I, I just, your coaching is phenomenal. I know that you, you're probably getting some amazing, amazing transformations for your clients and really, really helping them. So yeah, that's, I think it's just awesome. Super love it. <laughs> so can we talk a little bit about maybe your perspective on when someone's just really feeling stuck and they're mm. feeling stuck, whether like either shooting things that they don't want to shoot or they're like just feeling stuck how much money they're earning or just generally unhappy. What would be your advice on like starting to extract yourself from the pit of despair? (laughs) What are the three threats of the fire swamp? (laughs) Oh, you asked. (laughs) (laughs) The lightning stand. (laughs) Please, everyone who's listening to this podcast, go and watch Princess Bride. It is the most brilliant movie Yes. I think ever. 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 Like, ever. In always. Ever. It's my husband's favorite too. Yeah. We love it. We can't stop. <laughs> You've bested my giant. That means you must be exceptionally strong. That's how that's how I feel. Like that's I identify with the giant. But anyone want a peanut? <laughs> no more rhymes now, I mean it. Is this gonna get cut? I hope not. I because hope not. I don't know. Bride lovers. <laughs> Rejoice. <laughs> That's the subtitle of this episode. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay. Oh, my so gosh. How to help people when they feel stuck. Okay. So I super love this question because it's a deep one. So oftentimes people come, I feel stuck. They're looking for like a hand or a life preserver or yeah. some sort of like, do this. Yeah. But what it really is, 
is helping them to be able to choose courage over fear. So often we're stuck because we fear something. Yeah. And usually what we fear is change, doing something differently. If you're feeling stuck, it's because you are, and it's because you're scared of changing more than likely. I would say 90% Mm -hmm. of the time, that's what's happening. And we, we often do things that we don't enjoy or don't align with us because of fear. And whether that is fear that we won't be accepted or that our work won't be liked or fear that we won't be able to pay the bills if we don't do what we see everybody else doing, who we assume are paying the bills. And if we don't necessarily know where our alignment is. Mm -hmm. So those those are all things that will keep us really stuck or in, in fear of change. And so how to change that is to is to do something different, which sounds so like placating, right? But that is the answer. We have to yeah. do something different. So whether that is you change what you're shooting or, or you start saying no to the things that you don't really love. So like, yeah. let's say for the next three months, I'm only going to shoot the things that I love. Uh-huh. Let's just test this out. Any inquiry that comes to me, if it's something that I don't super love, I'm just going to say no for the next three months. Yeah. That will, of course, bring up fears of money yeah. or not having enough money. So you would want to be in a position where you felt that you might be comfortable for the next three months. But the cool thing about money is that if you are clear about what you want and what you're putting out into the world, money comes. It does. It really it comes does. right back. If you, you just magnetize fall- it. Mm-hmm. It really does. It truly does. And that's because we're following. I, I think it's because that we are, we are following why we're here. We yeah. are drawn to things. For certain reasons, and one of those reasons is because that's why you're here, is you're supposed to put that out into the world. And when you don't put it out because you're scared that you won't be accepted or that you won't pay bills or whatever those fears are, when you put that fear on pause, the money will, it will come and you'll start, your brain is so beautiful. It starts finding ways for you to adjust your business. So that you can make money doing the thing that you love to do. Yeah. I once, I can't even remember who originally said it, but for me, if it's not a hell yes, it's a hell no. Yeah. Does it give that like, oh yeah, I want to do that? Or is it like, "Mm, no. Mm -hmm. And it's like a lot of the times I like to think of terms and things like I have to do it or I get to do it. Yeah. Right. And when you switch your thinking on like, is it a have to or is it a get to? Like, how does that feel when you're like, okay, like I get to do this. Yeah, like, that's really good. Right? Doesn't that really, feel really good? good? Like, Yeah. And also like paying attention to how that feels. That's This is something I do yeah. for my clients a lot is if they're stuck between two options. Like one is often more logical. Yeah. Being like, well, this is what I should do. And uh, side note, if you're saying should, that's not what you should do. <laughs> no. <laughs> like that's, that's shooting on yourself. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But is to envision yourself, and one of my therapists did this with, with me, because I'm often, I get stuck in that logical brain. Yeah. And I got, because of fear, because of scarcity, because of childhood yeah. stuff, envisioning yourself doing the two options. So being in the place, envisioning all of your senses, like what you're hearing, what you are, what you can smell, what you can feel, what you're wearing, like what you are experiencing in that scenario pay attention to what's happening in your body is like, where is that kind of resonating? Where are you feeling it? Like is your breath feeling a little bit short? Is your heart racing? All right. Like what's happening in your body 
and then imagine yourself doing the other thing. Mm. And what does that feel like in your body? That's the truth. Our bodies know the truth, right? And if we can learn to listen to them, if we give ourselves pause long enough to like pay attention to how those emotions are being processed physically, then those are beautiful hallmarks to understand what the answer is. I love that. Mm-hmm. One one thing I do, like when I get really stuck on like making a decision, mm-hmm. is I do the coin flip, and it's not the answer of like what is the coin. It's like how do I feel in the center? It, what's happening? Oh. Where am I leaning in the center? Like, am I hoping it's heads because of this, or yeah, am I hoping yeah, yeah. it's tails because of this? Yeah. Then then my answer is doesn't matter what where it lands. It yeah. matters right here. Yeah. And then I know that that's what my heart wants. Yeah. Yeah, I get right. it. Yeah, if you're disappointed that it lands on heads, you're like, yeah, you're well, like, then oh, it's obviously, well, then be obviously that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. Oh, that's a good one. That's a good quick yeah. way to do it. Right? It's just like, it's it. just like that internal litmus of like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Very good. I'm going to do that Love with it. You. So when I was listening to your podcast, I learned about shoot shadowing and yeah. I loved this phrase when I heard it. So can you share with our listeners what it is and why it's so important to growth? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you for asking this question because it's my take on photo critiques. Yeah. Yes. And so shoot shadowing, it has a critique kind of element, but I think we kind of get a little bit scared by the word critique because I'm going to be criticized and that's not at all what happens. It's this kind of supportive journey through one of your Lightroom catalogs, unculled, unedited, just you kind of naked. I make a joke about granny underpants in one of my podcasts. I talk about it. (laughs) You're wearing like your ugliest underwear and we're going to go through your Lightroom catalog together. And what it does is it allows me to kind of get into your head and I can see where you're positioning yourself, what you're thinking. I can even kind of feel, especially if someone's being hesitant or if they're trying, if they're staying somewhere, maybe a little bit too long or they're not quite where they need to be to, to really feel the moment especially in documentary photography, it's how you immerse yourself in the environment is immediately evident in how you're able to tell that story in an image, right? So if there's like distracting elements or if there's distance between you and the subject, or if you just take one frame instead of five, like when when there's a movement. So it, it really allows me to like get in there with you. And then we talk about, okay, how are you feeling? What were you thinking? Like, oh God, I was so bored or I didn't know what the hell I was doing or like, oh, I saw this and I was really hoping something would happen in this light. Then we can talk about strategies of how to make this a more clear picture because we really get stuck in our heads and we really fall in love with our own images, right? Yeah. And we, when we're editing, we have context. We've given ourselves context because we were there. But if you have to explain a photo to someone and why you like it, then that photo could have been a little bit better. We could have found a way to tell a more meaningful or a more clear story. So when we go through your catalog together, I come in with this objective perspective. I don't know any of these people or what's going on, but I can see where the story is. And then we can talk about, okay, here's how we could have gotten there or amazing, look at what you did, look what you pulled out of this and look what we can see. So it's, Having people objectively look at your work is so helpful to help mm-hmm. you become a better photographer and feeling really good about your work because, yeah. yes, we have to love our work. And it's super helpful if the work that we're putting out there is understood, you know, yeah. or if it, if it resonates and it's 
it sometimes doesn't resonate because we're standing in our own way. Yes. You know, whether that's because of we are not getting into the right spot at the right time or like we're not anticipating a moment or things like that. So yeah, it's just a super supportive, inquisitive, curious way to look at how you move through a shoot and how we can help you to even be a better storyteller with what you're currently doing. Yeah. Do you go through, like, do they pre-call at anything? Because I'd be so curious to know, like, the ones that they chose and Uh the ones that you choose, would they be similar and different and why? It's really fun because sometimes they're not. And like a lot of times other people seeing your work is like, oh, I didn't even see that. Like, not only am I looking through your eyes, but you're, you get to look through mine as well. Yeah. Like, I didn't even think about that. Or like, what if we cropped it here and then the message is so much more concise or it's more like yeah. direct. The whole point of it is to be able to have other eyes yeah. on what's going on. And then that can help you to refine your work, what you're putting yeah. in. People who go to art school, they go through tons of critiques, yes. right? It's, it's a skill you have to learn to be able to not take it personally mm-hmm. I talk a lot on my podcast about not taking things personally yeah. and one of the ways to do that is by having your work critiqued but it also develops confidence right because you're yeah. like oh okay this is something I can work on this is something I'm doing really well this is something that I can bring to my next shoot and like I can have like dedicated practice on anticipating the moment or, or composition or whatever it happens to be totally like the biggest gains I think when I was first learning like this was back when photography forums were all around yeah and like I remember I was on ILP or I, I love photography way back in the day yeah. and just posting for that feedback like just mm-hmm. getting different eyes because when we post on social media usually it's just like rainbows and applause Yay, clap right like yeah like slow claps <laughs> or hearts totally. and that's it which is great and it feels wonderful everybody loves the likes mm-hmm. but when it comes to growth can Mm -hmm. often actually be stagnating when you're only relying on the applause yeah yeah totally and and it can be devastating yeah if that is your purpose or if that's what you kind of learn as feedback yeah you get really stuck and it feels really awful when your work doesn't seem to resonate or translate or or you start to feel like those things are meaningless you know or the algorithm changes and you don't get as many likes as you did in the oh, beginning. Good Lord. Right? I mine right now. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I don't even post on social anymore. Forget it. <laughs> like, right? Well, it's funny because I, I am opposed newborn maternity and fine art photographer and mm-hmm. I love like composites. So it's interesting because when I think about my own work, I'm like, oh, I'm definitely putting it on, on a mask. Like oh. I hide, yeah, like I definitely hide behind the perfection and making things perfect, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, interesting. Like Mm -hmm. I've never really approached things with a curiosity observer mind versus a director mind. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, because I'm very like, like like, this is what I want you to do. Turn your head, like do this. Versus like a documentary approach, right? And I'm like, what would happen if I shut up? (laughs) (laughs) All hell would break loose. <laughs> Probably. It might be amazing. Right? But yeah, this is one of the things I say to my clients all the time when I meet them for their discovery call is like, I am a documentarian. I'm not a director. Yeah. So if you want to be told what to do and you want to be posed and, and that's wonderful, I'm not your photographer. Yeah. If you just want to naturally flow through your day and you want to feel all the feels, then I'm yours. Yeah. You know, like they're, they're totally different. So different. Line, I love right? it. 
We yeah. should do a shoot together and see what happens. I know, right? Just see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> Lisa, shut up. <laughs> Just let them be. <laughs> Bobby, do something. <laughs> right? You're not going to love it. Boogers, boogers. Yes, yes. <laughs> like, I'm in love there. It. Be in there with You're me. like, awesome. <laughs> so great. I love this conversation so much. <laughs> So I love this quote from your website. Bobby is magical at understanding the true why on what is holding someone back. Now, can you share your approach to helping a photographer uncover this and how powerful it is? Yes. I love this quote too. And that's why it's on there. It's so good. I coach for KT Mary Education. And so I mentioned earlier that I was a dietitian. I worked in eating disorders. And so I took a lot of training in different therapeutic modalities. I'm not a therapist, I'm not a counselor, but I definitely have, I'm strongly informed by that training and that experience and those backgrounds. And so it works really well as a photography coach because I, I really want to understand the deeper meaning behind what people are asking because the vast majority of the time we ask a question and that's not the actual answer that we want. For instance, if someone is asking how to price their packages, they're not necessarily asking how to price their packages, right? They're looking for help to understand their value and how to communicate that to their clients. So we dig behind that question. And sometimes people don't like that very much because it like, right. Cause it's like ripping off a bandaid on a like fresh wound. Yeah. You mean I have to figure (laughs) this out for myself? Yes. I have to think I can't outsource my thinking. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. So answering the question with like, you should do this. Like if I said you should charge this amount of money for this type of session, it's, it's not helpful. And that's what we want in the short term, because that's, that's truly the easiest thing. But we don't learn anything. And then we're left continually asking that question. Whereas if we find out what we're truly asking and we're able to intrinsically understand or be motivated by our own needs, then we're going to grow and we're going to evolve and we're going to understand our motivations and we're going to be able to translate our values into our work and into our client experience. And that all comes out. And at the end of the day, there's a number on that. But when you've done all the work to get to that number, that number makes perfect sense and you fully believe it. And there's no doubt and there's no comparing yourself to other people. You're just sure. And then when people ask you like, why are you so much more expensive than other people? You can be like, this is why. And they're like, cool. Where do I sign up? Like it really truly works like that. So I love that. I love that. The question behind the question, Lisa. Right? The question behind the question. I love that. I love that. Love that. So I think a major limiting belief for so many of our listeners and pretty much all photographers is if they raise their prices, they think my clients won't pay that. So what advice do you have from like working on that one? Because it is so common. It is pervasive. (laughs) Right. Well, first of all, where does that come from? Like, why do we think like that? And it's because we've never done anything differently or we're doing the same things as everybody else. So there's that one person messaged you back and said you were too expensive. That one person. One. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And so 
the way that we kind of move beyond that is my clients won't pay that is that you're right. You're right. Your clients won't pay that. So it's time for new clients. So are you going to continue pricing yourself in a way that you are broke? Or do you want to price yourself in a way that you can lead the life that you want to live? And so this is what I work on with my clients. I'm like, what do you want your life to look like? Let's price your work so that that can happen Mm -hmm. rather than capitulating to, you might not even know, like you might just assume that your clients won't pay that, you know, like you get a client who there's like, there's no way they can afford that either. Either they won't pay it or they can't afford it. Right. So the people who won't pay it are the ones who like don't value it. And the people who can't afford it are the ones who would if they could right so there are like their circumstances wouldn't allow them to pay that but it's not what we're doing is we're assuming that that's what they want yeah and therefore in order to get that work i'm going to assume that this is the price that you need in order for you to hire me so there's a bit of like validation in there like looking for other people to validate me in my pricing but in my own experience and in some of my clients that I have had that thought about, like, there's no way that they can afford me. They have been some of my highest paying clients. So I would say there are more people who can pay what I value as, because those are my people, you know, they find a way and it it is not up to me to decide what other people can afford. It's up to me to decide what my value is. Yeah. I was chatting with someone earlier and they said, we often forget that almost everyone is carrying around like a $1,300 phone. Mm -hmm. People can afford stuff, right? Yeah. (laughs) You can afford it. Show me your phone. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Totally. It's just where we want to put our money. And if you can communicate that value, people are like, yeah, for sure I'm going to pay that. You know, it really does stop with us and our – how effective we are at communicating our value. And notice I didn't say selling ourselves because people hate the word selling. And I agree. We are providing a service. We are giving them something. We are making something for them that they really, really want and desire and value. And so we have to communicate that in how we show up in our work and in our branding and in how we communicate with them and all that stuff. It's not just based on price. It's fascinating to me and especially looking looking back at my own path and like looking at my motivations, I think, around raising my prices or not raising my prices. Mm-hmm. I think it was probably around 2014, 2015 that I really realized that my identity was so tied up in being the popular photographer, being the one mm. that was booked the most, the one that yeah. had the most clients at a detriment to me because I was so overworked. Like I was booked six months in advance, which felt like such like a, oh, yay me. But I was undercharging and I was overworking and I was exhausted and I was miserable and I was over drinking because I just Mm -hmm. couldn't handle it. Mm -hmm. And it was just this hot mess that I got into. And it all came down. I didn't want to raise my prices because I wanted everyone to like me. Right? Like, yes. Yeah. Where does that come from? Inner child stuff. Right? Like, <laughs> And I was like, if I raise my prices, people won't like me anymore. And I, so I can't do that. So I just have to stay stuck and be miserable. I would rather right? be stuck than have people not like me. And that's, yeah. that is one of the deepest fears that we have is, is yeah. 
the desire for to be connected and to be part of our group, part of our tribe. Like when we were Neanderthals, being separated meant death, really. Yeah. Like vulnerability and a very hard life was scrounging up berries. <laughs> but our, we don't live in that world anymore. Like no. And another way to look at that is the person who created fire was probably not hanging out with the group. They were out <laughs> messing around with stuff, trying to figure it out. Like there's yeah. got to be a better way. And they found fire, right? So there is huge value in being different and standing out. And your prices can be that because everyone is is scrounging around in that mid-range price range. Mm -hmm. Your price alone separates you from from other people. And it raises the value of our work in general as photographers. When we truly put the correct numbers on what we're doing, everybody can have a living wage. when they can spend time with their families and they can save for their futures and and do whatever without this like burnout hustling three glasses of wine before we go to bed in order to do it all over again yeah it's just not it's not the way to live and it's not sustainable and it doesn't feel good and that's not why we're put on this planet is to just like yeah be empty on a hamster wheel you know like yeah mm -mm. Mm -hmm. no more of that not for me (laughs) nope no me either (laughs) So can we dive a little bit into procrastination? Because I think, and from what I know about myself and what I know about our students, Mm -hmm. it's something that we all really, really struggle a bit. So I'd love to ask any advice that you have to maybe stop self-sabotaging behavior like procrastination and get things done more quickly. Or this is a tough one, right? <laughs> like, and procrastination is sometimes kind of celebrated. It gets kind of like a bit jokey and like we all sort yeah. of like rally around this. Oh, we're procrastinating and like making ourselves super anxious. Like, yeah. Why? <laughs> that's not good. Don't do that. <laughs> I think that procrastination is, is really rooted in fear, actually. Mm. And that fear like coming from that need to belong or, or like need to connect. So like if we procrastinate, we don't have to think about that thing that we have to do because if we do that thing, it kind of opens us up to that fear, you know? So if we procrastinate updating our brand or even having a, a cohesive brand, or if we are procrastinating finishing off that session to send to our clients, like we are setting ourselves up for that anxiety. And I, I honestly don't know I don't know why. I don't know like the evolutionary reason why we would choose to increase the anxiety in our lives. Sometimes procrastination happens is because we're so stuck in the muck doing a million mm-hmm. other things. And so it really comes down to time management. I think I think that has a big play. In practical terms, procrastination comes from an inability to manage our time. Uh, or an unwillingness, whether it's an inability or an unwillingness, I'm not sure. Like for the person to figure out but a lack of awareness around where we spend our time a lack of awareness of how procrastination actually amps up anxiety Mm -hmm. and a lack of awareness of where we are choosing to spend our time that is making our life a lot more challenging than it needs to be Mm -hmm. so one thing that people could do is if they're thinking about this more from like the philosophical mindset perspective is there's a really good book called the mountain is you by oh, brianna, brianna Weiss. Weiss. Yes. Yeah. so that that book is really excellent and she talks a lot yeah. about procrastination in there but a more like hands-on approach for the more logical mindsets is to do like a schedule audit yeah you know so for like three or four days track how much time 
you do with different tasks and you might procrastinate and not do this. Seriously. <laughs> like I realized the conundrum I have of doing a schedule on it. And it's painful. <laughs> so painful. It's a- but it is so illuminating. <gasps> when yeah. I did it, I was like, I am spending how much time scrolling? Like hours of my life are spent yeah. doing this with my thumb. I was so yeah. like, I wasn't embarrassed. I was really sad that I was yeah. doing that. There are so many way more valuable things I could be doing with my time than than that or like even the the idea of multitasking like that's there's no such thing our brain has to switch tracks between doing one thing and doing another thing and that switch is really inefficient in terms of energy and in terms of time so if your email is open while you're editing and you keep checking your email yeah like your brain is working twice as hard to be able to actually get the task done and the task is you finishing off your editing, right? So yeah, like blocking out your time is like doing, okay, so the next two hours, I'm doing this and this alone, no distractions. You'll be done in an hour and a half. Like it's incredible how much more effective it makes your day and therefore gives you reasons not to procrastinate. I love that. Yeah, it's so true. It's so true. And like, you know, it's funny because I I need a schedule, but I need it not to be so rigid that like I'm a rebel. Because if you give me a rule, like I want to just like break the rule a little bit. So I need it to be like with enough freedom that I can just have like, I actually built in scroll time, gave myself like 30 minutes where I can just like play on TikTok and pretend I'm working. And I'm like, no, this is like permission just to do nothing right now. And if, as long as I I, like build those into my days, I'm able to manage myself far more effectively than like just trying to rebel and be like, I'm supposed to do this, but I'm going to do this. (laughs) Well, yeah, you're totally right. Like that schedule, you would want it to include all of the things. Like you would want right. it to include your like total downtime or time you want to spend with your dogs or like yeah. it's not just about work. Like you're able to figure out how to kind of be less distracted when you're doing the actual work. You can make those distractions like more purposeful at another time and yeah. you can really focus on those. It's really about being purposeful about which thing you are Mm. lending your focus to you know and definitely if there's half an hour of scrolling in there absolutely or whatever that looks like but I love TikTok it's like my guilty pleasure it is such my guilty pleasure I love it so much it's too much (laughs) for me yeah yeah it's too like the act of everything moving as you're scrolling is like whoa like it just yeah it hurts my brain yeah I think my brain got addicted to it and I'm like, blah, 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 like, duh. <laughs> right? yeah. yeah, yeah. Like I don't even really love reels for this, and I think that's the reason oh. is that I want to be able to digest things on my own time. Yeah, and that's why I love photography so much. Ah, uh, and which actually makes so much sense being a storyteller. Documentary, the yeah. photography, like that makes so much sense. Yeah, I like right. Because you just want to slow down and absorb, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I love that. Love it. All right, you ready for our lightning round? Ooh, yeah. Okay, <laughs> coffee or tea? Uh, decaf coffee. I like it. Mm-hmm. Okay, favorite movie? <laughs> I think we did this. <laughs> Definitely The Princess Bride. I love it. <laughs> Go to karaoke jam. <laughs> I do, or the, or the one you sing in the shower by yourself. No, <laughs> I am like 100%. I have a karaoke jam, and it is <gasps> Welcome to the Jungle. Oh Guns my god, GNR is my yeah. favorite. Oh, GNR, it, like GNR is my favorite. I'm not joking. I like know the words like every song and like even oh, wow. yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, me too. I can play 
Yep. November big, rain. Big I can play on my... the piano. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> that was like my grade six party trick. Yeah. I didn't know how to communicate with anybody. So I would just find a piano and play November rain and then dun, all my. Dun. Like especially like the heavy part at the yeah. end. My jam. Even like seriously, when I said to my like when my son knows like I'm upset about something, like I mom's got GNR going on. And like I just need to like process with my GNR and I feel yep. Yeah. Which which album was your favorite? You like the the Oh, use your illusions two. Two. Two was the yellow one, right? I think it was the blue one. The blue one. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you know the song Breakdown? Yes. Yes. That was so in grade eight. We did you ever have a declamation in school? No. It was, it was like this public speaking thing. You had to do an improv speech. You had to do a prepared speech, and you had to recite a poem. I grew up in Alberta, so maybe it was no Alberta thing. But my poem in grade eight was <gasps> breakdown. Sure, <laughs> that is so yeah, funny. Totally. Well, what I used to do was I liked to make home videos, and <gasps> I figured out how to like film videos on like the camcorder thing and then I would dub them with music and I would use GNR and like make family films with Guns N' Roses music. We all come in (laughs) from the cold. And the funny thing (laughs) is at this, so this Thanksgiving I went home and like my sister, we made a video and we called welcome to Thanksgiving. We got fun games. So yeah, I really like Guns N' Roses. Oh wow, you're my new best friend. Yeah, I really Seriously. love it. I have a bit of problem with the the misogyny now. Exactly, me too. It's hard to digest some of that like through yeah. your childhood filter, but yeah, yeah. I like I, I love, used to have like strawberry it. blonde hair, and I would wear my bandana. Yes, and I would do my like Axl Rose dance. I do that in my yes. karaoke. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yep. I need yep. some white bicycle shorts and like a plaid. You know, remember he used to wear them. Yes, in the, with like the plaid shirt. Yes. Yeah. yeah, and I was like, my sister, I like, I, like, I want her to dress up as Slash. Like, seriously. <laughs> well, this, this podcast has been such time. a tangent. <laughs> Welcome to the tangent show. <laughs> I love it. Okay, oceans or mountains, and why? Uh, mountains, hundred mm. percent. Lots of reasons. The metaphor of mountain, like everything about like yeah. getting to the mountain. I, I love the work. I love working really hard. And and then having big reward, mm. and that love that it. is mountain. Yeah, love it. What do you like to cook the most? If you like to cook, I don't. Don't do it. No I don't like it. it. <laughs> um, what are three things you want to be remembered for? There is one thing that I want to be remembered for, and I, I we talked about it at the beginning, and yeah. that is like eradicating self loathing, hundred percent. That's love my job. That. <laughs> Morning person or night owl? Morning. Nice. Yeah. Last thing you did for yourself as an indulgence. Yeah, that's hard. I don't tend to do that, which is something that I'm kind of trying to work on. Yeah. Like just relaxing and like sinking into something. I did. I reached a milestone a couple of months ago in terms of my pricing. And so I had a really nice bottle of uh, Shiraz that I had bought from Incomit sellers oh yeah yeah it's my favorite their syrahs syrah not a shred syrah is so good so that was really fun (laughs) we went there we went there a few years ago we were there in like 2017 i think we went Mm -hmm. and stayed it was beautiful incredible 
That's awesome. What's the best piece of business advice you've ever been given? The best piece of business advice I've ever been given is to start a tax account. Ooh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So every time I get paid 25%, I cannot touch it. Yeah. It goes. Because when you start making more money, <laughs> the government takes the more. The government takes <laughs> a little more than you were expecting, especially like when you do jumps between the, the tax brackets. I really got dinged like two years ago. I was like, what is this fresh hell? That, and yeah. I didn't have the money. Yeah. I don't like that. I don't like that no. feeling of like. It's um, terrible. Yeah. Yeah. So start a tax account. 25%. Yeah. It's not yours. Put it away. Yeah. Yeah. Where can our listeners learn more from you? Well, I have my, we talked about my podcast a little bit. It's the Tilt and Shift Photography Business Podcast. It's Tilt and Shift Podcast on Instagram. Um, but you can find it on my website, which is bobbybeducation.com, B-O-B-B-I-B education.com. And so all my, all my coaching programs are on there and the links to my, my podcast are on there too. I love it. Well, I love to end my interviews just with this last question. And it is, what are you currently curious about or artistically curious about? That is a really, really good question. I've started working with film again. So in the very beginning of my career, I shot my first wedding on film. I worked with film for a bit and then digital came in with like a groundswell. And so I really abandoned it, but I've always shot my personal stuff on film. And, but this year I'm including film with all my clients and it feels like all sorts of worlds have opened. And so that's what I am. Like, it feels like another portal in my brain has opened because I, I, I'm very skilled. Things feel very sort of fluid and familiar pulling out my film camera and being forced to because it's totally manual. Like I can't just shoot. I have to like be so deliberate in terms of how I'm experiencing the moment. It is, yeah. it's been, it's really fun and it's been really inspiring as well because it's not perfect, whatever perfect yeah. means. Yeah. It's so different from digital that it's a completely new artistic process and I'm really loving it. Yeah. yeah it's really Are fun. you developing them yourself too? I'm going to develop my black and white. Yes. So I found this in December. I took a course learning how to develop film using caffeine and vitamin C and a little bit of like dish soap. Cool. Yeah. It's really cool. And you're doing it with your hands and it's just this whole new process, but it's none of the harsh, like you still use a fixer, but you don't use any of the like harsh chemicals. It's just like instant coffee. I shouldn't say caffeine, it's instant coffee. And there's some polyphenols that you get from leaves and stuff. And it it comes out well, kind of grainy and a little bit scratched and stuff. It's so, it's so beautiful. It's such a fun process. Yeah. I love that. Awesome. Well, Bobby, thank you for joining me today. This has been awesome. This has been such a fun conversation. This has been a delight. I love it. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Oh, my beautiful friends. I hope you have loved this conversation just as much as I have. I am sending you so much of my light and my love today and every single day. We will see you next time. Hey friend, you know what's the worst? It's just being mid-session and completely freezing. You start to feel awkward, your clients start looking at you for direction, and your brain feels like you just hit a wall. Now believe me, you are not alone. And that's why we created the Storyteller's Toolkit. It's an emotive prompt guide to help sessions stay free-flowing and fun 
And best of all, right now, it's totally free. It's full of prompts for parents, motherhood, family, siblings, and couples, and even surefire smile prompts. We've put together over 200 prompts for you, so you'll never be at loss for an idea again. Grab your copy at themilkyway.ca slash toolkit.